Okay, let's bring it back in, have a seat. And <laughs> this morning, uh, if you would, just have a, a topical study this morning uh, about worship. And uh, I'm using that word uh, because it's familiar to us. Um, I think we all know that worship is much more than singing. Uh, I think it's pretty singing is really just the result of worship, right? So worship is really just a, it's a lot of things. But since uh, in our Western Christian world, worship is just sort of synonymous with singing, um, that's what we'll call it today. So I just want to talk about music in the church. Next week, we'll start the book of Hebrews, and uh, we'll be there for who knows how long. Interspersed with some seasonal messages, we'll have a Friday night uh, Christmas Eve service, uh, Christmas, uh, so 7 p.m. here, candlelight, sing some songs, and enjoy uh, God's coming to us. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at this morning. Uh, let's begin in Ephesians 5, verse 18. And then also, we'll just flip over a couple of pages to Colossians 3.15. We'll read these portions of Scripture together, and uh, then we'll talk this morning about music in the church. Ephesians 5.18. Give you all just a brief second. Find your way there. So let me just read uh, verses 18 to 21. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Big word, it just uh, it means it's wasteful. It's wasteful of your brain. It's wasteful of your money and your time <laughs> and a lot of things. Okay? Dissipation, I think, is the same sort of word that we would use to describe the lifestyle of the prodigal when he took his cash and ran for the hills. It said he lived a wasteful life, right? That's prodigality. It's just you do whatever money can buy. So that's Paul's sets us up here with this semicolon to give us something that's antithetical to that, all right? So rather than being influenced and overcome by intoxication from alcohol, he says, but be filled with the Spirit, okay? So the contrast is very evident. Let the Spirit of God be the one who is influencing you. It's interesting, actually, that alcohol is a depressant, right? So it depresses your... Uh, a lot of your natural instincts and you feel loosened up to do things that you or say that you wouldn't say or normally do. The Spirit of God is a stimulant, right? It's very opposite. Alcohol is a depressant. The Spirit of God is a stimulant. He inspires us, rather, to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So Paul is setting those two things in contrast to one another, Ephesians 5.18. All right, so be filled with the Spirit. And then in the next three verses, 19, 20, 21, he tells us what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And it's, I've underlined four words, speaking, singing, verse 20, giving, and verse 21, submitting, <laughs> Right? It's laid right out there very beautifully for us by the Apostle Paul. So let me start again. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So that's the beauty of being inspired, stimulated by the Holy Spirit, as you see from the text, it produces music. Go to Colossians 3, verse 15. Sorry, verse 16. 
Colossians 3.16. It's going to sound almost identical. Paul wrote these two letters around the same time from his prison cell in Rome. Here in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace or gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. All right? So you can see that that verse almost mirrors what he said in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Okay, so your attention, please. I just want to uh, talk with you this morning. Uh, so, first of all, uh, why am I doing this? So, I have several answers to that question. Why am I preaching about music in the church? Well, number one, it's easy to take it for granted. Or assume, maybe I'll say it this way, that it's kind of the fun part of the church service. <laughs> and it is. In reality, what I hope to show you today that it's a powerful way of expressing our love for God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. In other words, we get to sing about the Christian faith. Okay? Not, it's not really part, of, it's not entertainment. I guess music in, in a scholastic sense falls under the, or in a societal sense, it falls under the arts and entertainment category. Right? And it is a very powerful medium that is used in all of life, and it's, we love it, absolutely love it, so I, wanna, I don't want to downplay it at all, no pun intended, downplay it, all right, so why am I preaching about this, because it's, we can assume maybe that it's the fun part of the church service, uh, number two, it's easy to presume, now hear me please, it's easy to presume that the job of worshiping falls to the person or people who are in the front of the room with instruments and or voices. In other words, we might assume that it's their responsibility. We depend on them to be filled with the Spirit of God, to read the Word of God, to be filled with His Word, to pray, to live a holy life, to live obediently, uh, uh, to walk humbly with God throughout the work, uh, week, excuse me, to battle against the spiritual forces of evil and then come and give us a good experience in singing. Uh, what I want to show you today is that that is all true. Every bit of it is true. And then some. There are human beings like you and I who go through all the stresses and weaknesses and fears and insecurities that we all experience in life and the joys and the things that come in our life. And a lot is asked of a person to come up front and to play or to sing in the midst of all that. And there is a particular spiritual warfare that comes with leading in worship. We'll talk about that a bit. But it's also true for you and me that we also come very much in the same context as those who are standing up in front. So what God wants to show us today about worship is that we don't come to get filled up. We come to give out because we're filled up. It's congregational, okay? Andrew and Olivia this morning, and Andrew, they left us, they, they led us in song, basically, and I love the a cappella piece. It just demonstrates that we're in this together. There's a mutuality, okay? So stated simply... What we learn from Ephesians and Colossians, that our singing is really its overflow. What God has done in our lives on a, on a daily basis, then we, it's part of what we do when we come here together on a Sunday morning. It's a very integral part of it. And it's an overflow. So there's an expectation on you and me. I'll just say right now that I think one of the things I want to communicate to us is that worship is not the responsibility of the worship leaders. It's our responsibility. And again, I'm using worship in the context of singing. It's our responsibility. If you notice from the text in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul says you speak to yourselves this way because you are being filled with the Spirit and you are reading the Word of God. And therefore, the overflow, the outcome of what he produces in our life is song. And it's wonderful. 
And so they, and Becky and others take part, they have the responsibility really of just starting us on our way as we sing when we gather. The third reason for preaching this is that the subject of worship has been a discussion among us elders and worship leaders repeatedly over the last several weeks. Now, I understand that this is a huge subject, and it needs to be nuanced carefully with an open Bible and lots of grace, because a lot of people, every one of us, have particular opinion about what worship should look like, okay? And it's, again, it can be nuanced a lot of different ways. We have favorites, and we have those that we don't care for. I don't like the way they do this or that, and it's, it goes on and on and on. So it's a huge subject, uh, and what I want to say here, I guess what I want to say is that, let me just raise a few questions that have come up in our discussion in leadership that are, I think have created some confusion maybe about worship singing in church. For example, should we sing songs that have been written and produced by bad churches. And in some cases, maybe they're not even churches anymore. Because when you look at their practice in relation to their doctrinal statement, it's like way off to the point of heretical in some cases. And yet they produce a lot of music. Should we sing songs that they produce? Should we sing songs at churches that are maybe a little bit more central and committed to the Word of God, but have some, some bad teaching, maybe some health and wealth or prosperity doctrine is sprinkled in there, but they also produce a lot of music? Should we sing that? Those are questions that we all ask of ourselves. How much emphasis should be put on church in this singing? How much emphasis should singing have in our weekly gathering? How much technology should be used? You know, that's a big subject, right? How dark should it be? How much light? Obviously, we don't do any of that here. We're not set up for that. I have friends who were part of a church explosion up in Rochester, New York. And in their expansion and, and literally building of the facility, I think he told me there was well over a million dollars just in the lighting and in the sound for what was going on up on the stage. So it was a, it was a big thing, right? The lights, you got the big screens, there's lots of activity, there's fog machines and all the usual stuff that we talk about. What about expression during worship? Should we dance? Should we have banners? Should somebody be doing some art? I know... <laughs> Inside, <laughs> Olivia's standing on her own feet up here because she wants to dance when she's singing, <laughs> right? Uh, interestingly, I uh, do subscribe to Christianity Today, and in this latest edition, uh, Jen Wilkins had an article about singing in the church. And uh, she said this, are we creating a mood or a memory? If a mood, lyrics take a back seat to vocals and instrumentation. If primarily a memory, the lyrics are critically important. They should be able to stand on their own combined with music or not. So these are all the things that are happening in the greater church in our Western culture for sure. How much should culture play a part of it? <laughs> right? My daughter spent several years in Ethiopia. Or sorry, that's my daughter-in-law lived in Ethiopia. My daughter lived in Nigeria for several years, attended the local church in her community. And uh, there was like dancing from beginning to end. And a lot of hooting and hollering was going on. And that was, I think, very typical in their Nigerian culture, especially in this part of where they lived. Would that be appropriate here? Big questions. So, my advice to you is to go to Lucas and Anna's on Tuesday night. <laughs> 
because what they're going to do is take this message and they're going to talk about it at length. And that would provide a perfect opportunity, if you'd like, to maybe think through some of these things, uh, nuance this subject of worship, and you can gather at their place at 6.15 and you can go through some of this. I just advise you to do this. Do it with an open Bible and an open mind and lots of grace. Okay? An open mind because we all have our opinions about how we think it should look. Perhaps none of them are wrong. It just gets a little bit challenging when you get everybody in the same room. My final reason for wanting to preach this kind of comes on the heels of what I've just said. It's been a topic of conversation among us as leadership and worship leading over the course of the last couple of months. And so I've been saying this has been percolating in the back burner. Uh, this need, I think, just to address this subject with you in, uh, as a church. And it seemed like the perfect opportunity is now. Because we just came off a series of messages from Philemon, which talked about reconciliation through imputation. We're a reconciled to God because our sins were put on Jesus and his righteousness was put into us. And that gives cause for shout of cry of victory. <laughs> Amen. That is a perfect segue then into this subject. There are songs throughout the Bible that just burst out of salvation. One of the famous and great songs is Exodus 15, right? Moses' sister Miriam took up a tambourine and gathered a bunch of people together and they just started singing because they got saved. They were miraculously pulled out of slavery through the blood of the Lamb and then the army came after them. They get baptized through the Red Sea and the army gets drowned by God's power and they're free, like we were singing. The chains are gone. I am free from slavery. He has bought me. I am now purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And it caused, it gave them great, they sang. He says, I will sing unto the Lord. He is, I can hardly do this without singing it. You ever heard the little ditty? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider fell into the sea. The power of music helps you memorize, right? But that's what they sang. I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. And I will exalt him. And on and on and on it goes. This song. Which seems to have been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't think Miriam had written out the lyrics of this song prior to getting saved. It was just like, pack your bags, we're leaving, it's midnight, oh, okay, and they rush out, and then they get to the Red Sea, and oh, God can't really save us, we're going to die, and then he parts the Red Sea, he, say, he baptizes them, if you will, drowns the enemy, and then it's like, whew, I will, and out it comes, beautiful. You all familiar with Isaiah 53? I hope you're familiar with Isaiah 53, right? It's probably the, the clearest description of the life, the death, the crucifixion, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In all of the Old Testament, some will argue it's the clearest de description in all the Bible. In its Old Testament, Isaiah 53, right? It's, it's, it's Jesus being our atoning sacrifice as he stood in our place as our substitute. Do you know the next word in the next chapter is sing? <laughs> God who inspired Isaiah with this prophecy of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, the next words are sing, break forth in the singing and cry aloud. God told, tells his people to do that. Luke 15, great story of the prodigal son which speaks volumes to God's heart when, when people come to faith in him. As the prodigal returns, it says that my son was dead. This is the father, representative of God the Father. 
The father saying to his son, my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Older brother comes and he says that they heard music and dancing. And I'm not a dancer. I don't prefer dancing in church. But when I read that, I'm like, crap, it says dancing. <laughs> and God actually wanted it. <laughs> Revelation 7. Revelation 7. This is the Apostle John given a vision of people who die for their faith during the time of tribulation at the end of the world. It says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, righteousness, with palm branches in their hands. Any remember, anybody remember where palm branches showed up in the Gospels? Right? Happened when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. Palm branches were symbolic of victory. It was, so they were proclaiming Jesus is coming to bring victory. Here these are, these martyrs who have held on, they've persevered in the faith, died for the faith, and John's given a vision of them standing around the throne, clothed in white robes with palm branches. And they're saying, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. <laughs> so, all that to say that it seems like the perfect time to talk about singing since we just got talking, done talking about being reconciled to God. So sing, church. So what I want to do now is I want to... Um, I'm going to just turn back to Ephesians 5.18 and I'm going to just comment and say this, that um, what becomes evident from Ephesians and from Colossians is that the songs of the church, now hear me, that the songs of the church originate with God. It's pretty obvious. Be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is what Paul's referring to here in Ephesians. And the result of that is psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, in your heart to the Lord. So, in other words, it started with God. Singing originated produced, composed, if you will, and downloaded into the hearts of his church, of his believers. That leads me to safely conclude that God is musical. Have you thought of, ever thought of God as being musical? He's musical. God loves music. God is musical. And because God is musical, man makes music. Because man is made in God's likeness. We have reference, the first reference to any musical instruments is Genesis chapter 4 by a guy by the name of Jubal, J-U-B-A-L. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes, okay? So he made wind instruments and stringed instruments. Now, there's no record that he is a believer. In fact, he descended from Cain, who was a bad guy. But because he's made in God's image, they wanted music, and so this guy invented music, and he became a whole long line of people who made all kinds of instruments and became producers of music. God is musical. So I just want to stress that with you because I love it. It just shows me the beauty and the glory of who God is. He's musical. He loves rhythm. We see it in the creation story. Right in the opening chapters of, Re of Genesis 1, you, you hear the rhythm. It's, it's written in prose with a very heavy poetic emphasis. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the third day. This is how God reveals himself, but there's, there's definitely a rhythm in, in the way that it's written, in the way that he created the world. We also observe through the scriptures that God created angels to sing. One of the things that angels do is they sing. They have voices and they utter their praises to God continuously around his throne. Many times you encounter angels and you'll hear this about them. 
Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and there was cherubim, some other kind of angelic creature, spiritual being, surrounding the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see the very same thing in Revelation chapter 4, as John is taken up into heaven, and he's given a vision of creatures with all kinds of wings and eyes, and they're saying exactly the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Job chapter 38 Finally, at the end of Job's long struggle, God comes to him and he begins to speak with Job. And this is what he says. He says a lot of things, but in his opening words to Job, he said, where were you when I laid the foundation? Think you're so smart. (laughs) No, I'm I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? At the very beginning of time, God says, When the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. God reveals that to us. We didn't know that from the text in Genesis. But as he speaks to Jonah or Job, we find out that, my goodness, in the spiritual realm, angels are just praising God because evening and morning were the third day. And then he sees man. On the sixth day, evening, in the morning, and then God rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And the angels are just lauding and exalting God for his great power. In fact, I quoted to you from Revelation chapter 7 how people from every different part of mankind, society, and ethnicity are standing around worshiping God. You know the very next verse? The angels join the choir. Revelation 7, 11, all the angels were standing around the throne and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, so be it, amen. They're saying that of the martyrs who are worshiping God. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. So God is musical and he loves when people sing, when angels sing to him. So just a quick question to keep your attention. Who's the most prolific writer of Christian or of godly music in all the Bible? It's not David. Solomon. Now I'll just point out something to you. David wrote a whole bunch, right? He's often attributed the whole book of Psalms, which, by the way, 66 books comprising one book called the Bible, the largest book in the Bible is a song book, book of Psalms, 150? No, 150 Psalms. I'm looking to my expert over here, Joshua. Right? God loves music because he's musical, and man sings because God is musical, and he downloads it into our heart. Yes, did, was there some genetic carryover, something in, in Solomon because of his dad, who was a great, I think the scriptures call him the great psalmist of Israel. He's a great songwriter and lyricist. Uh, he, he played very skillfully with a stringed instrument, a harp. Is that where Solomon got it? Might have been some. But it tells me in 1 Kings chapter 4, when that he said he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. 1,005 songs. By the way, what was his number one bestseller? Song of Solomon. (laughs) Right? That's the opening words of that little book. Right? The Song of Songs. His greatest piece was a love song. Yeah, it was talking about him and his girl but I think it's prophetic of Christ in the church. Absolutely it is. Where did Solomon get his ability? It tells me in 1 Kings 4, God gave Solomon. God gave Solomon. God's musical. And he put into Solomon an ability, an unusual ability to write music. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand in the seashore. So God inspires us and infuses his church with songs. And God, by his grace, and I'm so thankful for this, what I'm about to say, is that he gave us a large book of worship called the Book of Psalms, and I love it. 
I love it because it encompasses everything in life, from joy and birth to prosperity to success to peace to sickness and suffering and pain and betrayal and injustice. And there's psalms that are written just gut-level honest, like complaining, God, where are you? Break the teeth out of those evil people's mouths. There's lament. It's all encompassed. And so it draws you and me right in to where we can read those psalms and, and the Spirit of God who inspired the writers he now connects with you and I, right where he finds us in life. From the book of Psalms, there are songs that are sung specifically during the festivals, like Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, the big three that the Jewish, the Hebrew people had, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They're sort of, uh, sort of like our Thanksgiving uh, Tabernacles. Right? It's a harvest festival. But I'm just bringing that up because Psalm 120, now hear me out, Psalm 120 to 134 are called the Psalms of Ascents. A-S-C-E-N-T-S. Ascents. In other words, you're going up. And what's generally believed is that it was the songs that people would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem for one of those festivals, Passover, Pentecost, or Tabernacles. And because Jerusalem is a city built on a hill, depending on where you're approaching the city, you're almost always ascending. You're going up. And in Jerusalem, of course, is a temple of God. And so it's the song of ascents. It was the pilgrim songs, as they're sometimes referred to, sung together while going up to Jerusalem. The psalm of ascents, 120 to 134. Psalm 113 to 118 are the songs that they would sing once they got to Jerusalem. And then they had these series of songs that were typically brought out seasonally, just like our Christmas carols, just like we get to sing down on the commons in front of people who don't know God. Come and join us December 4th, 2 to 3, and Saturday afternoon. Psalm 113, 118 are the songs that they would sing when they got to Jerusalem and they're observing their wonderful festivals. In fact, there was a whole festival called the Feast of Trumpets, <laughs> announcing the beginning of the seventh month, which was the most important month in the Jewish calendar. It's the Day of Atonement. It happened in the seventh month. And so it announced that. God said in Leviticus 23, I want on the very first day of the seventh month, get a bunch of trumpets together and sound it out throughout the land. Forgiveness is on the way. All right, so pilgrim songs as you're traveling up to Jerusalem and then songs that we'd sing when you got there, Psalm 113 to 118. You know what that means? That means that Jesus, our Savior, learned these songs as a young boy because it tells us in Luke that he is, his, Joseph and Mary, they would go up to Jerusalem. They would go up to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. And so, as their friends and neighbors, they would travel in packs <laughs> as they would make the ascent to the city of Israel, to the temple of God, the families would sing Psalms 120 to 134. Jesus learned the scriptures through the music. It had a powerful effect on him. Can you, for example, Psalm 121, one of the greats, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Don't you wonder what was going through the mind and the heart of Jesus as he was singing that song? He is the Lord who made heaven and earth. He is the one who has come to bring deliverance, help to people. No one knew it. Five-year-old little guy. Got his couple younger brothers. They're all going up, throwing stones, kicking dirt, walking in the mud puddles, doing stuff little guys do. And meanwhile, there he can hear their parents chanting those songs. And he starts to pick up on them. Gets to be 12, 15, 18, 24, 29 years old. Even before he'd gone public, he would go to the Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And now he's got them. 
those songs, those songs. Psalm 113 to 118 are the songs that are sung when you get there. And I only bring that up because as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to give himself, officially present himself to the nation of Israel as their savior, the people start chanting Psalm 118 very appropriately where they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's Psalm 118. They're, they're, they're singing this out to, the, to Jesus. So he not only learned them, he had them sung to him. Very appropriate. And he also sung them. Do you know Jesus sang? Matthew 26. Just as they finished the Passover meal, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. <laughs> the power of spiritually inspired music can't be understated or overstated. It shouldn't be understated. The power of spiritually inspired music. You know, I've already made the point of Jesus learned the Psalms of Ascents and he learned the festival songs 13 to 18, 1 to 13 and 1 to 18. But we see in, after Jesus got into the city of Jerusalem, Matthew 21, it goes on a little bit further. It says the children started saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, where did they learn that? It's what's caught. It's not so much what's taught. They just heard it from everybody else going nuts, laying their palm branches and their clothes down and exalting God. So have good spiritual music going on in, in your homes. The power of spiritual music let me give you a couple other verses just to context this a little further. In 1 Samuel 10, as Saul has been anointed by Samuel to be the first king of Israel, he needed a little encouragement. And Saul's like, I'm going to give you, God's telling me you're going to have three different experiences. They're going to confirm to you that he's actually calling you into the work of being my king. And one of the things, he says, as you approach a town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. Now, that's interesting. So what's happening when we're singing is we're prophesying. We're foretelling truth, provided we have lyrical content that is good. Usually, it almost always is. So that's cool. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. You will prophesy them and you'll be changed into a different person. And it actually happened. And everybody, when it happened, everybody that knew Saul was like, dude, what happened to you? He goes, the spirit of God is, is helping me to sing. <laughs> Made him a different man. The power of God's music. Which is very interesting because later in Saul's life, because of terrible rebellion and disobedience and stubbornness. God removed his Holy Spirit from Saul and put it on David. And then in place, God gave Saul a troubling spirit, an evil spirit. And when that would come upon him, guess what he would do? Y'all know what he would do? He'd call David in. And it says that whenever the harmful spirit from God was on Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now, that's amazing. That's amazing. The power of the Holy Spirit prophesying through the music out of his humble servant David actually chased the demons away and refreshed Saul's mind, brought him back to his right mind. Let me remind you of some spiritual songs in the New Testament. Maybe you haven't noticed this before, but in Luke's Gospel... His opening chapters of Luke are filled with worship. When Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth after Mary's had a visitation from Gabriel, who says you're going to have a child, it's going to be the Holy Spirit's going to come in and give you a, the Messiah. Mary goes and she visits Elizabeth. Now listen carefully, it says hear that, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, John the Baptist, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with me here? Be filled with the Spirit. 
Paul taught us in Ephesians. And the result is you start prophesying, you start singing, you start telling truth. He, God, is musical. He inspires music. And so she spoke out with a loud voice and she said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Then a little bit later, she said, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord, which I think is absolutely cool because Elizabeth, before Mary could even utter a word, Elizabeth is given a word of knowledge. Oh, you're pregnant. She had no idea except that God the Spirit informed her and she declared that understanding through that little brief little songlet, if you will. Blessed are you. Mary's response was song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And on and on and on she goes. That's in Luke. Mary's filled with the Spirit. Of course she is. The Spirit of God has come in and has done a supernatural conception inside of her virgin womb. And then later in chapter 1 of Luke, Zacharias, who was John the Baptist's dad, it says here that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And then, of course, I'll just go on a little bit more briefly, but on the evening of the Lord's birth... Shepherds in the fields, you know this story, you know it for sure. There was an angel who spoke to the shepherds and said, hey, guess what? <laughs> Go down in Jerusalem and you'll see a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So that reduced the search pretty, because like you refine the search, right? So they go down and go, all we got to do is go to the nearest mangers and we're going to find a baby in there. And the, sure enough, there he was. But before they could leave their pastures out in the field, it suddenly it says there was an angel. With the angel, a multitude of angels, host uh, of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill uh, toward men. Angels are singing. And then, of course, when Jesus was dedicated at his uh, circumcision, uh, he they, Mary and Joseph bring him to Jerusalem and there was an old man in the temple named Simeon. And it tells me in Luke chapter 2 that Simeon was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Do you see the consistency here? Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. Mary was filled with the Spirit. Zacharias was filled with the Spirit. The angels are angels. They're, not, they're sinless, okay? So they're just like singing all the time. That's revealed at his birth. And here's this old man. It says he's filled with the Spirit. God is not a respecter of person or age. He'll fill anybody who's willing. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it happened and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And so when Joseph and Mary come walking in, he goes, he took him up in his arm, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He starts to sing. This is in our New Testament. This is us, people. This is what God does because he loves music. A couple of other hymns that you may not realize are actually ancient hymns that were repeated by the earliest church people. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, I didn't know that. I used to read that a lot. And then through study, because I'm a pastor, I came to realize that actually was a hymn that had been passed along orally among the churches. It was, it was like rich doctrine because the scriptures hadn't been written yet. And so they, they established spiritual songs to help them learn about the faith that they're now involved with. And there was a beauty right there. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. Another one, 
2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. It's a little hymn. It's a little song. If we die with him, we also live with him. If we endure, he shall also, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Oh, what a wonderful little songlet. It was just, people would memorize and they'd learn and they would repeat it to themselves, no doubt, as they would walk along. So, suffice it to say that music in the Bible and among the church is noteworthy. All right, whatever. I really practiced that one a lot. <laughs> it was a flop. It plays a key role in the church. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Y'all with me here? It's warm. <laughs> and can you just like tap some AC or something here? It's getting stuffy in my opinion. Let me just say one more thing, and then we'll go back to our Ephesians and Colossians text. Whenever you're having a conversation of this sort, what role does singing have in the weekly gathering of the church? What role should it have? I think that poses, it, it begs a different question. And the question is simply this. What should happen when the church gathers? What should happen? What does God want to see happening when the church gathers for their weekly meeting? I think one of the simplest, maybe one of the best answers is what happened when the church was born in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Peter preached, 3,000 souls got baptized. And afterwards, it says this in verse 42, they, the newfound Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. No mention of music. Huh. And yet God is musical. The reason we're looking at Ephesians and Colossians is because if you study your New Testament carefully for music, there's actually not a lot written and when you ask yourself the question, what should happen when we get together here? It really boils down to those four things, which get repeated a bunch through the epistles, which is the explanation of what happened in the Gospels and in Acts. Defines what is for us what the Gospel is, and it's teaching. Timothy, preach the Word. Study the Word. Read the Word. Preach the word of God. Fellowship. Hebrews 10. We're going to be looking at that at some point down the road. Don't forsake the fellowship of yourselves together, but come together and encourage and provoke one another to love. And so much the more as you see it getting more and more difficult to live as a Christian in the world in which we live. And so if I can just backtrack one moment, I want to just land on that statement for a moment. Because in, in my introduction, I talked about, you know, what's the expectation of worship leaders? Are we, do we presume that they're doing all the work? No, of course not. But they're living life, and you're just like you're living life. And you might be in a place, in some point in your life, where it's like, I don't want to go to church today. Because I feel like a deadbeat, lost, burned out, unspiritual failure. I don't know how else to say it. That's precisely when you need to come. That is exactly what you need to do. Just like Saul, when David would play the harp, he was refreshed and brought back to his right mind. And so, no, the scriptures don't, in the New Testament don't give us a lot of definition about singing in the church, but man, do I want singing. Because it is a powerful way to communicate God's truth. And without getting into all those, because I have no clue of it anyway, without all the physiological and psychological impacts of singing, it has a powerful impact on our lives. 
I go back to Jen Wilkins in her little article. She said, recite the ABCs. And she goes, almost every time you do that, you're going to start with a little song. You learned a little ditty to memorize it. Or as I sang that, tried to sing that if Exodus 15. Like those songs get stuck in your mind, but they're teaching you scripture. So fellowship should happen. Preaching should happen. Prayer should happen. Breaking of bread. That's why we take communion. Maybe we should take communion more often. Praying about that. But I will say this. As you read on to the end of Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. And I think there's a pretty strong intimation that they were also singing. You know they were. They got deeply convicted by their own sin. What are we going to do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent. Get baptized. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life. And he did. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, we already know from Ephesians and from the context of the Bible that God's musical, and when he gives his spirit, Solomon and so many others, people start singing. And so although it's not explicitly stated, it's happening. All that to say this, I don't think worship should upstage preaching. So if you go home going, oh, that was amazing, a free concert. <laughs> I didn't have to lay down a whole bunch of money to even attend. That was amazing. The whole thing was just like, wow. What did he preach on? Ah, I don't know. Whatever. It was amazing. Worship shouldn't upstage preaching. A.W. Tozer used to say, the hymnal is the bridesmaid to the Bible. They go together, communicating the same message, just different ways. That's what I think should happen when we come. For some of you, you'll leave Ithaca after graduation, work, whatever. So hopefully you'll take this with you as you're looking for a church wherever the Lord would plant you. You know, how much, how much prominence does the scriptures have in that congregation? Is there preaching? Is there fellowship? Are there life groups for greater fellowship? Is there prayers? Yeah, of course, singing. And let it be robust. So, back to our text in Ephesians. And now I'll just close with a little bit of application for us personally, Ephesians 5, again, verse 18. How much time? Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunk with wine. You know, it's interesting. I think what Paul is alluding to here, it uh, can just mean, what are you pursuing? Are you getting drunk with the wine of the world, <laughs> shall I say? right? Is God first in your life? Are you spending your time and money in pursuit of something not God? He goes, it's wasteful. It doesn't have to necessarily even be a sinful thing, but it's not going to help you eternally. God is the source of eternal life, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and believe in him. And worship begins with that one simple act of just bowing before him in total acknowledgement of his glory and saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will demonstrate his grace as his spirit comes and saves you and regenerates you. I just find that an interesting thing. Don't be drunk with wine. And you know what came to mind by the Holy Spirit just last night and reiterated this morning? I went back to when... Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments in Exodus 32, and down in the valley, because Moses had been gone for 40 days, all the people are appealing to his brother Aaron. It's like, let's make a calf of gold and worship the thing. And so they all pulled off, they spent their money, they took their gold earrings and nose rings and all the 
valuables. They gave them to Aaron. He melted it down, put it into a form of a calf, put it up on a thing. And it says that early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Moses is coming down from the mountain, and Joshua, his buddy, was there, and he said, Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, and he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory, and it's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, (laughs) whatever, right? They got their eyes off of God. And then it just turned, and they got, I found it interesting that they got up early the next morning. All the the passion that we can get involved in, we'll we'll just spend our, man, I can get up early for this. And I'll spend my money. And it turned into chaos. That was people who had been saved. By the blood of the Lamb, baptized, sang the song of Miriam. They're only like two months into their salvation. Don't get burned out on that or hung up on that. They came out with a whole lot of Egypt inside of them. They came out of Egypt. There was Egypt in them. They had seen this kind of stuff back there. God's in the process of sanctification. He starts to get it out. So I think quite simply what Jesus said is, is always profound. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's coming out. It's what's in. So be filled with the Spirit. How do you be filled with the Spirit? That's my simple exhortation to us this morning. Because when I compare Ephesians to Colossians, there's two things. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's what Paul said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the message of Jesus dwell in you abundantly. And the end result is the same. What comes out of your mouth, which came from your heart, is beautiful stuff that exalts God and encourages one another. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? And let me say this, that what Paul is actually saying here is let this be a continuous thing for you. Constantly keep being filled with the Spirit. All right? How do you do that? It's not hard. It's not hard at all. Jesus told us, just pray. Pray in faith. Just ask me to fill you with my Spirit, and I'll fill you with my Spirit. Because I'm generous and good, and I love you. And I want Him to direct you and guide you and bring peace and pour my love back into your heart so that you'll love me and love others. Well, give me a text for that, Pastor Scott. Easy. Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? You know, I think what he's saying there is that Lord, who lived a human life, totally understands human life enough to say, you know what, you can get so upset with your kids sometimes as a parent, it's like, you want food? I'll give you food. (laughs) You want an egg? Yeah, chew on this. (laughs) Right? But they don't do that because there's this abiding love for the child in spite of their obstinance. And the Lord says, if you then, who are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We can always depend on Him. He's faithful even more so than a parent to an erring child. And you go, well, how do I if, I, if the Holy Spirit is the one who saves me and seals me and fills me, then why do I need more filling? As we like to say, it's because we leak. <laughs> Life happens. There's sin, there's grief, there's a whole spectrum of stuff that goes on in our lives, and and we just need fresh filling, which means a fresh commitment and dependence on God in our weakness, and He blesses. We should do this. There's two things here. 
Paul is using this word in the passive, which means you don't manufacture this. And he's also saying it imperative, but you do need to do this. So do it, church. Constantly ask God for a filling of his spirit. Not to consume his nature upon yourself, but to let his nature consume you. Because your biggest enemy is you. And then the devil. But we already saw from David he would play and the devils would flee. God's greater. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. This is the key. And this will rejuvenate our worship. When I say that, I mean our singing here. This is our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of the worship leading people. It's our responsibility to be filled. And then to lend our hearts and our voices to God as we gather. And there's this this mutual beauty that comes out of it. And then the second thing Paul taught us was let the word of Christ or the message of God's word, of his Messiah, dwell in you richly. How do you do that? I've said it before and I'll say it again. Let me first say, remind you of what happened in in Exodus 32. The people got up early to worship a false god. I know this doesn't play well. (laughs) (laughs) when you're talking to students. But I don't care. We all have the same amount of time. What are you doing with your time? I just think that there's a principle that is taught to us by Jesus himself. That he got up a great while before day, he went out into a mountain alone to pray. And then the disciples woke up and they're like, where'd he go? The more that he had to do, it seems like, the more he would spend time with God. Stop the excuses, church. We all have the same amount of time. It's what are we pursuing? You get up early. You get up early. (laughs) And you just make this a, a regular pattern in your life. And you start, and it doesn't, it's free. You don't have to take the gold out of your pocket. You can just sit down, and here's gold right here. You open this baby up, and you just sit down before the Lord. And I'll just be real honest with you. It takes me a while. Because I just, I'm so, I think I have a problem with attention deficit. But once I enter in, and I do that by simply stepping back and reading the text again, after I've read it a bunch of times, and I'm just saying, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on here? I just had that beautiful experience earlier this week. I sat down, I'm in the Psalm of, of Ascents, actually. It was Psalm 124. And I was busy, and I read it, and I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. I was tempted to just close the Bible and go do the stuff I really wanted to do. <laughs> they were top on my list. I'm like, no, stop. Pour another cup of coffee, sit down, and read it. And then I started to open up. And David, and I started seeing words getting repeated. And I started seeing the rhythm. And it was really beautiful. And it started speaking to my soul. And then I didn't, I looked and it's like, wow, half an hour just went by. Now I'm prepared for the day. Because I spent time with the Lord. That's letting the word dwell in you richly. And you know, because of the time of investment in that time right there, then you know what? It goes with you. And then when there's a spare moment, I'm driving or whatever, walking, and I can just remember, you know what David said that would have. He said would have three different times, and each one had a particular sort of overwhelming effect. And if that had happened, it would have been the end of me. But God was merciful. And it just started, and he continually feeds you throughout the day. And when that's happening, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Some of you are pursuing gold calves. And because of that, there's immorality in your life. And the Lord's calling you back. Right now, this morning, He's saying, Come on, 
Let's get that thing out of the way. And this message has been effective in doing that. Because you know that you're not even enjoying worship music anymore. And the only songs that are coming to your mind are what Billy Ellish is singing. I don't know, it just came to mind. It was ever popular these days. Your particular genre. So let's stand and pray. Lord, I thank you for the strong exhortation from, from your spirit through Paul, who's teach, taught us this morning that you're musical <laughs> and that in your heaven right now, <clears throat> excuse me, there is loud voices. There is great praise of angels and creatures in redeemed man right now. Lord, I pray what's true in heaven would be true in our hearts. May the kingdom of God come and dwell in us richly. You've given us all things that are necessary for godliness. You've given us yourself. Father, I pray you'd strengthen the church today. Lord, I pray that you and your word would become so dynamic in our lives that we would find ourselves struggling with doing other things just because we're so pulled. You're, you're such a draw to us. If you're lifted up, you draw men to yourself. Lord, if we found ourselves just dry, wilderness, I pray you would fill your saints with your spirit, pour your love afresh in their hearts that would bring just a joy, fresh sense of joy and peace. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. God bless you all. <laughs>